Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman. This week I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, this week is our Monsters special double header of uh, new reviews with Monsters University and Pacific Rim. That comes after what we've been watching, which also comes after the news, which also follows the quiz <laughs> nicely done Steve and the quiz starts thusly in 1979 with the Muppet movie oh god right ok right then <laughs> we have 1981 pennies from heaven 1984 the lonely guy and I'll even give you from 1984 as well, all of me. Jesus. 1987, Roxanne. Oh, Jerry. James. Steve Martin. You are correct, James. Oh. Boom. Bastard, bastard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm so fucking good at this game. <laughs> bastard. Oh, in sorry, Jerry. I even knew he wrote Roxanne, for fuck's sake. Yeah. In, yeah, Roxanne's awesome. In the Muppet movie, he played Insolent Waiter. <sighs> okay, that's one of his finest roles. Yeah, that yeah. classic moment, yeah. <laughs> I like the way you, you missed out, like, the man with two brains and stuff, Steve, to make uh, And the jerk. Yeah, I know, you missed out a lot of the kind of really obvious ones. So it's, uh, it's make it difficult. Yeah, I know. As great a job as ever there, Steve. Yeah, missed that three amigos and little shop of horrors as well, having just searched them. Yeah. I didn't get that far down the list. Oh no, like Roxanne came after yeah. those. Well uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you got dealt, with. dealt with. <laughs> that it was excellent quizzing and you just didn't want to give us the obvious ones. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it was. Anyway. On to the news then, James. Um, yeah, two bits of news really about um, franchises that have been confirmed and that the main protagonists are returning. The good news is that Sam Mendes and Daniel Craig and I think Roger Deakins, although I've not actually, I've just heard the same team in place, so I'm assuming Roger Deakins will be their cinematography. The new Bond film will be out in 2015 and has those people back involved. People's thoughts on that? I'm glad. I quite like Skyfall. I was surprised how much I actually enjoyed Skyfall. So to see, to see the more all green to come back for a sequel, I'm yeah, looking forward to it. 
I'm wondering what 80s children's film they're going to rip off for the end set piece this time. <laughs> Maybe. Home Alone 2. They're going to actually have it in a New York toy store. 16 Candles. <laughs> I'm thinking that it's going to be Bond on a, a bobsleigh run. Nice. Cool Runnings. Yeah, nice. It's like Q or, and um, M and everyone uh, on his team. That'd be, nice. That'd be good, actually, yeah. Or um, he's got to reverse um, a really expensive sports car to reverse the mileage <laughs> after taken driven it around town all day. That would be awesome. James Bond's day off. Right there. Do it. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're all, we all really like Skyfall. Um, so I, I'm, and it was one of our, I think it was our second best film of the year, according to our awards. I can't remember now. It was in our top three anyway. Um, so, yeah, we're really pleased with that. The bad news and the perplexing news and the what-the-fuck news is that Johnny Depp, um, fresh from what looks to be a John Carter of Mars-esque bomb in the shape of the Lone Ranger, has signed on for Alice in Wonderland 2. What? Is this a film that we needed? Yes. <laughs> It was quite good. It was quite successful the first time. It was successful. No, it was not critically, but no, it it was commercially successful. But is the market still there? I think as well, people often confuse commercial success with people liking the film. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's very. Lots of people go and watch Alice in Wonderland because it's Alice in Wonderland, which is the they paid the story, yeah, and it's Disney, so they'll go for it. But whether they think. Oh, that was really good. I'll watch a sequel that has no basis in a in a you know classic of children's literature. When it's got Johnny Depp. The lo- it it through the Looking Glass was that the lit uh, the literature sequel was through the Looking Glass. Yeah. Book sequel, but they're not calling it that. Obviously, no, they're that's calling what it Alice say. in Wonderland two. <laughs> mm. So they're calling it Alice in Wonderland two. Now, what whether they do that, whether they go off into a a bit of an aside or, or whatever whether they explore the universe more it's just not the same I mean Through the Looking Class is quite good and they, mm. if you're going to read them if you've not read them by the way they're really really good um, and there's lots going on as an adult that you can get into mm. but you probably want to sort of run them together if you know what I mean they usually come bundled together in a book Yeah. and there's been no indication thus far that it's going to be Through the Looking Glass it sounds like no, a Johnny Depp fantasy project on yeah. exploring that universe. And on this point, Johnny Depp, what hap- what's happened to him? When did he just give up being an actor? When he realised that he's just... 50 and he still looks fucking amazing. Well, yeah, <laughs> and he seems like a decent enough bloke, but I'm, I'm, I think Donny Brasco's the last time I saw him act. And he can act, and I've seen him act. And I'm just confused as to why he's given up. Obviously, getting paid, what, $20 million or whatever to do these films must be dead easy. Um, must be Seems like one of the easiest careers going. Um, but surely at some point he's got enough money and doesn't he want to do something that's just a bit different? Doesn't he want to act? <laughs> I think that's a bit harsh. I mean, he does act. He just does it in a... Very over the top way, doesn't he? It's his. He's developed his style. I know it gets a bit of stick because we only really see it nowadays in stuff like um, you know Tim Burton films, anyway. Mm. But he was genuinely good as Jack Sparrow. I think it's in, uh, it gets a bit oh. overlooked. Just sort of thing that only the more serious stuff is 
acting with no, no, no. I, I, I appreciate. And, and you know what? I, I've got. I, I enjoyed the first Pirates film. I couldn't get to the end of the second one. I've not bothered with any of the rest of them since. But I did enjoy the first one. But at some point, he he's just. It even seems to me he's treading water. The first Jack Sparrow performance was really good. Okay, I really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. Okay, maybe I'm being a bit harsh on him, but... Has anybody seen Public Enemies? What was he like in that? I'm still waiting to... I've got it on Blu-ray and I've not watched it yet. Uh, I've heard some good things, some not-so-good things about that. Um... I, I And, yeah, I don't know... Maybe it is just the fact that all of his um all of his big starring roles seem to be the same you know the uh, the mad hatter it seems very very similar it was him in i'm sick of seeing him in white makeup i think that's the thing that i'm annoyed he's got white makeup in tonto he had white makeup in dark shadows white makeup in alice in wonderland white makeup in alice in wonderland 2 white makeup in charlie and the chocolate factory it, well. yeah and and so it's just like i'm sick of that Corpse Bride, yeah. that's white. Corpse Bride, yeah. Not really, but it counts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just Sleepy Hollow. I could go on. The man is looking. Yeah, it, it, we could go on, yeah. and I I think there is still a really properly brilliant performance. And I'm not saying it needs to be a serious art house film, but I think there is a brilliant stretching performance from him still there. Yeah. But he doesn't. He he seems to be taking easy options at the moment doing Alice in Wonderland is an easy option doing Lone Ranger was an easy option although for the studio it looks like it's turned out to be a disaster but we'll we'll see when that comes out but, but yeah I, quite... I just don't think the sorry I was just say, it's quite... <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's quite good though to see an actor who's not just chasing an Oscar you know sometimes you get actors like uh... okay I like Leonardo DiCaprio mm. I think he's a good actor but he did for a while seem to just be picking films that would try and get him an Oscar. And I think it was, you know, that was quite refreshing to see him turn up in Django Unchained and doing something completely out of character. Maybe I'll take your point that, you know, he does play a lot of the same characters, Johnny Depp. Um, maybe seeing him as something different and a bit more mellow would, you know, be a, a break for him to do something like that. Mm. And, yeah, but it doesn't really get recognition for their role, those roles. He still doesn't. Did anyone see Secret Window? Yeah, it was terrible. It wasn't a very good film, was it? And that was him <laughs> playing a more serious role. So maybe... No, yeah, that was him playing basically the kind of role you see Ethan Hawke turn up in. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolat, yeah. um, he was pretty decent in. What was that, sorry? Chocolat, he was, that was... A more nuanced. Yeah, performance. but again, uh, that's, I mean, that's you're looking about that's pre um, pre pirates. I think pirates put him into the stratosphere, and maybe it's just difficult for him to go and do the film. Maybe it's difficult for him to go and do the films he wants to do now. I don't know, but because he was really good in um, Finding Neverland as J M Barry as well. He he's done. He's put in some really good roles, and it's just I think I just miss him doing something different and interesting and just on a on a on a lower budget lower scale um but i've not seen the rum diary yet so maybe i didn't hear good reviews but maybe he's quite good in that but i think we've spoken about johnny depp long enough and i'm sorry also to and an i was extent, probably a bit harsh to an extent edward edward he was good yeah. in edward white yes. makeup again though i like makeup again though yeah 
Before we move on, do you want my one and only sort of Alice in Wonderland fact and how I can relate yes. it to Batman? It's nice. Batman's favourite book, Bruce Wayne, when he was a kid. Oh. It was the book he read before he went out to see um, Zorro, where his parents were killed. Oh, you know, okay. did you know? There you go. Do we also know Not... about about Mr. Lewis and why Alice in Wonderland was written? Nope. No. Oh, Alice was, uh, I think she was about nine. It was his friend's daughter. And he wrote that story in a kind of paedophilic way and ended up marrying her when she was older, having known her all through her childhood. Whoa. Okay. That's creepy as fuck. Well, maybe they touch on those elements in the new <laughs> Alice in Wonderland film, and uh, so. that will be the dark, challenging role that we've been looking for <laughs> from Johnny Depp. Well, let's um, have a break after that. I think it's the only thing we can do. (laughs) What we've been watching then, and after Jerry's previous revelation, I don't know if I want to know what he's been watching. but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm referring to Lewis Carroll, not talking about my own personal life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what they all say. Honest, honest. Uh, Your Honour, it's not me. Um, I've been watching uh, My Name is Joe, which is a Ken Loach film from about 15 years ago now. Mm. Uh, Peter Mullen, who I absolutely love Peter Mullen. He is a national treasure. Um, I don't really know what he's been in other Tyrannosaur recently. Was he in War Horse? I haven't seen War Horse. I think he was. Um, I think he was also in Welcome to the Punch. Recently yeah, as well. I've not seen that either. Um, anyway, Peter Mullen plays an alcoholic called Joe, obviously, as the title would suggest. Um, and the story is basically set in a really shithole part of Glasgow. Um, no one chimed in and said, well, the whole of Glasgow, which is quite surprising. I quite like Glasgow. I, well, I went to the film festival, I quite like Glasgow. Although, no one ever makes a cheerful film about Glasgow, let's be honest. You never see the posh bits of Glasgow on film. Well, Ken Loach is not exactly known for his cheerful no. people films, is he? But um, he basically runs into a community health worker called Sarah, who's played by Louise Goodall, and this is through him. He's recovering from alcohol problems, and he's running a football team of you know unemployed former drug addicts and alcoholics and all this kind of thing. So, yeah, you know the kind of environment we're talking about here, and it's their lives intertwined and all that kind of thing. Very gritty, very realistic. It's all right. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars. It's not that good. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> but I think, I think really, it made me realise just... I mean, this is 15 years ago. It just makes you realise what a massive impact Ken Loach has had on sort of British cinema and British TV. I mean, I was watching it, and... and just thinking, all the kind of ITV crime dramas in the last 15, 20 years, all the sort of gritty films like Shane Meadows' films, um, Paddy Considine's films now, you know, all that kind of thing, even the likes of, you know, Simon Pegg's films, where there is a very down-to-earth feeling, it, it all comes back to Ken Loach. He kind of inspired it all. And I just, I don't think he, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an icon of British cinema, but I still don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. No, I, I'd agree with you, actually. And that, that's really interesting, because I've, I've never really heard people make that kind of leap from Ken Loach to um, 
say, the Simon Pegg Edgar Wright films, but I can totally see it. Uh, I, I, that's a really interesting kind of evolution. Uh, I think part of the reason that he is not massively revered is because he doesn't give a shit what he says, and he's very socialist, left-wing person, and so the establishment, pretty happy just to freeze him out and let him go and make his cheap films for lefty uh, arts house audiences like ourselves, Jerry. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and it's a real shame, actually, because quite often I think his politics, despite being a huge important part of his work, will overshadow what a technically great filmmaker he is as well. Yes, and and this is you know this film this film almost feels cliched because it actually you know was at the forefront of the kind of things we see on TV and film now rather than following it if you know what I mean but watching it now it seems like oh it's a bit a bit standard I think mm. I mean Kez obviously started it way back when but even going through to sort of more recent films like Looking for Eric which again is sort of northern working class film you can see the evolution there but the, the basics of yeah. it is the same and, and, and that really is something that I mean it, there is a long tradition of that in British cinema don't get me wrong but for the popularisation of it I think he has to take a lot of credit and, and films like The Wind That Shakes the Barley are absolutely fantastic I mean he, yeah. does, he doesn't just focus on Britain you know uh, Land and Freedom which is the one about the Spanish Civil War and the the, um, the International Brigades you know he, he takes yeah. He takes all the non-British themes and treats them in a nice way as well. You know, very caring and passionate. And, and it's just, I feel like just, I feel like no one watches Ken Loach films like anywhere near as much as they should, and me included. You know, I, you look at his filmography and I think, Christ, there's loads of them I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. And the really sad thing is, and I was talking to a friend about this earlier this week, actually. Uh, and we were talking about Mike Lee films, uh, but I think Ken Loach fits into this same way, is that they should be the films of the working class. They should be the films that make the working classes of this country get angry about situations and fire them up. But instead, it is kind of the art house crowd who watch these films. Um, and sadly, a lot of um, working lower middle class people won't watch these films because they think that they're arty films and they're really not they are the films of ordinary people and they tell ordinary stories and they get angry about things and it's saying why aren't we angry about this why aren't we angry about this inequality in society or how this is fucked up um and it's a real shame that more people don't watch his films for that reason because you'd watch them and you get really pissed off actually um, I mean, and I think this one is 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 sort of less political in a way mm. it, it's a very harsh treatment and it's socio-political isn't it yeah. it is about the environment it's about how you how an individual might end up in that situation yeah but i think with this i mean more than there's nothing sort of externalizing this or blaming this this situation mm. on anybody there, there is this situation there is this you know these horrible surroundings this horrible environment but there's no you know or it's thatcher or it's you know it's not it's not mm lashing out of the world it's just this is what happens these are some humans in this situation and mm. this is how they come together and I think yeah. that's a brilliant way of doing things really because it allows mm. people to draw their own conclusions and some people might watch this film and think god what a lot of fucking scumbags blah 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 why don't they do this why don't they do that and it's very 
it doesn't lay any blame on people. You know, there's drug addicts and alcoholics, and and there isn't this sort of finger pointing. They're just they're just very flawed humans. Mm. And there's no sort of oh this is society's fault or this is their fault. It's just this is this is, and we we need more films like that. And I think generally people are doing more of that in British film. You know, we're seeing more. This just is go go and do what you like with it, which is a very art house way of doing it, but it's infiltrating the mainstream. And I think Loach yeah. Loach has a sort of certain popularity. I think certainly amongst filmmakers more so than the public. Yeah, and I think that is starting to come through in British cinema now because of that. You know what I mean? The the, the way of just laying something out there. It's a very European way of doing it, shall we say? Yeah. But yeah, just uh, go and watch some Ken Loach. There's been loads of them on film for recently. Just go and go and watch some Ken Loach. It's bloody he's bloody great. Yeah, and looking for Eric is on all the time on film four, and it's brilliant. Nice. And it's quite a nice it's quite a nice one to start with as well. If you're looking for a a kind of yeah, entry into the films of Ken Loach. I think Looking for Eric's a really accessible film. Especially if you like football. Yeah. It's all very northern, though, isn't it? <laughs> oh, Maybe this, I mean, yeah. my name is Joe. I nearly had to have subtitles for this. Some of the Glaswegian, completely impenetrable. And I mean, you have to really be concentrated to understand it. It's all very, very northern, working class, and, you know, beneath me. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Owen, what have you watched this week? Um, I watched Snitch, the uh, new film directed by Rick Roman Wow, or Woe, I don't know how you pronounce his name. Uh, it happens quite frequently to me, doesn't it? I get lots of people <laughs> I can't pronounce. Um, I've not seen anything else he's done, uh, but he did do a film with Val, Ke- Val Kilmer about five years ago called Felon. Um, so he's obviously got some interest in these prison and sort of crime or criminal stories because this the plot of Snitch is basically that Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he's the Woo! owner. <laughs> yeah, he's the owner of a construction company, um, and his son is kind of tricked into accepting a package of narcotics by a friend of his. Um, and it turns out the friend was made to do so. He, made, he was he sent the things to um, to his mate, the Rock's son, uh, to basically get him caught with stuff so that he would get time off of his own sentence. Um, he made a deal with the, uh, with the police. So the rock son is end, ends up looking at like 10 years in prison for just accepting this package of stuff, which he told this friend he didn't want him to send, him, send to him anyway. Um, so then he's offered this deal where if he sets up one of his friends, um, he'll get some time taken off of his own sentence. Um, like a kind of snitch pyramid scheme. Exactly, yeah. But oh, he, re- okay, yeah. he refuses to do it. He says he's not going to do it. So The Rock sort of steps in as his, his dad and sort of says, right, well, I have a few ex-cons who work at my yard. Um, I'll get some information off them and then I'll just snitch on my son's behalf. That's basically what the deal he, is he makes is with, um, uh, uh, with the police and they sort of say, OK, fine, if you can do that, we'll give your son just one year in prison instead. So he sets about... Um, transporting drugs for some, some gangs and stuff. And uh, he ends up getting in over his head, mixing with some mafia guys, gets quite out of hand. Um, and he ends up getting the, his sort of employee, who is Shane from The Walking Dead, uh, caught up in everything. It's, I mean, straight away, I think it's got quite an interesting premise for a film. It's not quite mm. as an action film in the sense that it's, it's got quite a dense, layered story to it. Most action films you get kind of just to just, you know, just very simple pieces that move from one 
section to the next, quite straightforward. This is it's a bit layered, so that's quite interesting, I think. Um, but you know, it is essentially a story which is full of cops, full of ex-cons, and full of drugs, and so there is a bit of shooting in it. There's a bit of swearing, some explosions, car chases, that kind of thing. But it's very low key in comparison to other films. So. Um, yeah, I mean, in fact, probably the last 15, 20 minutes is when the main action part of the film takes place. There's a couple of minor shootout sequences that go on before then. But yeah, nothing that's that drastic. I think that's partly what the problem with the film is. Um, and at the same time, it's kind of one of its strengths. Uh, it kind of treats the audience with some degree of intelligence, which is unusual for these kind of films, I feel. Um, but it doesn't feel the need to constantly have stuff happening on the screen, so there's no, like constant stream of like naked ladies in one bit and then it doesn't go to another bit where you've just got some gangs who are just talking in slang and stuff it doesn't it doesn't do that it tries to treat the audience with okay this is the story that i'm going to tell this is how stuff is going to happen to this character i'm not going to color it in it's just going to be very basic and it's quite good i quite enjoyed the aspect of it but like i say it is a problem with the film because it makes it really slow the plot the, the pacing to it is a bit off I get that it's trying to make this point about sort of crime and stuff, and it just—it's it, just the problem is the story isn't actually—it's it, quite layered, but it's not that complex where they can just rely on it and not actually have to put anything in there to make it a bit more exciting. So the performances in it are quite decent, but the story is just a bit too slow. I think the rock is actually really good. Um, John Bernthal, who is Shane from The Walking Dead, he does a good job, too. Um, but it's it's just the the, the the problem is it's just a quite an uneventful crime drama, which is the problem. It's not. I mean, you think of The Rock and the sort of films that he's in, and he's known as an action film star. And this is kind of. Did you watch Faster? Did anyone watch Faster with The Rock? No, I didn't actually. That was quite a good film, but that was, again, I mean, it was slower. It wasn't a just balls-out action film, but it still had quite a lot of stuff happening throughout it, where, um, which was good, whereas this wasn't. So I actually don't know who I would recommend Snitch to, because um, it's not deep enough to be a, a good drama that you can recommend to someone, um, and it's not fun enough to be an action film. So it's, a bit, it's kind of stuck in the middle, really. Which is a shame, I think. It had the potential to be a bit better than it was, but... Yeah, it's not something I'd go out of my way to watch uh, if, I, if, I was, if I hadn't seen it already. I was going to say, because um, it was produced by Summit Entertainment, who are a really weird production company, because they seem to have these periods where they produce really good stuff and then really bad stuff. Um, so they did American Pie and Memento and... And did, and Lockstock and things like Fear and Loathing and all this kind of stuff and then they did like Vanilla Sky and Wrong Turn and Mr and Mrs Smith and shit things and then you know they did Twilight and then they did The Hurt Locker you know they have a real strange one and last year they put out um, well they obviously put out another Twilight film um, <laughs> but they also did Perks of Being a Wallflower um, and they did Man on a Ledge and they've got Snitch this year, and they did Red as well, which I saw the trailer for Red 2 today, and it actually looks really good. Has anybody seen the original? No. I, no. no, I almost did, but I just couldn't be bothered in the end. I thought it's not going to be that good. <laughs> but apparently it got good reviews. 
Yeah, yeah because it was one of those that looked like it should be shit and then got really good reviews. And the, the trailer for it actually looks pretty good. So I might check that out. But I was going to yeah. say, oh, are they on one of their up, up? If they're on one of their up periods, then I'll watch yeah. Red 2. If okay. this isn't very good, I'll not watch it. It's not. I mean, uh, I want I wanted to say it's a good film because it's got The Rock in it and The Rock is good. You know, he plays his role quite well. He's, he, he, it's more of an acting performance. You know, we're talking about Johnny Depp. This is, you know, what you would traditionally call an acting performance, I suppose. Um, and he's good uh, at that. But aside oh, from that, there's not, not... Yeah. <laughs> but I did, watch, <laughs> I did watch Fast Five as well uh, during the week, which also features The Rock and is a proper sort of balls-out action film. Um, and I know... Both you, you, Jeremy, and James both enjoyed Fast Five. I love Fast Five. Yeah, uh, it's a brilliant heist film. I, I genuinely love that film. Uh, okay, I won't say any more then because obviously you didn't. You didn't really like Fast and Furious Six either, did you? No, oh, not really. Like so, Bond, so all style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or John McClane. Um <laughs> I mean, Fast Five. Okay. I'm not even sure why I didn't like it this time. With Fast and Furious 6, or whatever it's called, Furious 6, Fast... Well, I don't even know what they're called anymore. Yeah. I thought this was called Fast and Furious 5, but no, apparently. I was trying to search for it. It's just Fast 5. Um, That confused me. But the... They've all got different naming conventions, just to really fuck with your head. (laughs) Anyway. uh, Yeah, at least with Fast and Furious 6, I could pinpoint, oh, that was really annoying, I didn't like that much, and I wish they'd just shot up a bit family. In this, I kind of... I don't really know what it was. It just didn't really do anything for me. It just wasn't pushing any of my buttons, I think. It, I mean, there was action in it, which was quite good, and the humour was better um, than Fast and Furious 6. And there were some really sort the of... The whole cool... bit with the safe. I was that just about to say, yeah. Awesome. There were a couple of cool scenes, particularly the bit with the two cars and the vault. You yeah. know, that was good. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that bit. Um, and I, it was weird how they just decided... They spent most of the film coming up with a plan. They thought, right, we're going to have this plan, and it's going to go down like this. And then as soon as you start watching it and they start to execute the plan, after, like, a minute, they give up. And it's just completely out of the window, and you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> what was this, the whole point of the setup was just to get to this bit with the cars. But anyway. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what my problem was exactly with Fast Five. And um, I think the problem, problem partly was I just didn't really care about it. I didn't care about yeah. anyone or anything they were doing. So I was a bit disappointed that's, after. That's two rock films you couldn't really recommend to any. That's something's going horribly wrong in the world, it is. isn't it? Yeah. I, I did watch Doom today. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I watched Doom. Uh, it's interesting to see him when he's at um, the early point in his acting career, mm. um, when he's not really comfortable on screen and he doesn't. Yeah. He looks like he doesn't really know what he's doing, and it's sort yeah. of yeah. Like watching Hercules in New York, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I thought Doom was quite a decent film for what it is. I, I quite like Doom. It's it's not great, but it's, it's not a bit great of fun. at all. No, Carl Urban's in it as well, isn't it? So it's yeah, you're getting the kind of you're getting the early stages of two people becoming quite big Hollywood. Yeah, that's right. Actors, so that's quite nice. It's an interesting piece. Yeah, yeah, but um, of the three, I'd probably have to recommend Doom over the others. And Doom's not a great film. <laughs> this week, then, I watched two films. One I'm going to talk about in more detail because Owen seemed to like it and I didn't. Um, so the first one is uh, X-Men First Class. Uh, the first in the X-Men, see it well, the prequel to the X-Men trilogy. 
Are they bringing out a second prequel now as well? Uh, yeah, Days of Future Past. Which is going to have more Wolverine in it, apparently. He's going to yeah. go back in time and stuff. Well, and it's being directed by Brian Singer, the original director of the original yeah. two X-Men films. Wolverine's cameo in X-Men um, First Class was pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say no more, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we get the story of how the X-Men were formed, uh, how uh, Magneto and Professor X met, etc. It's a good action film. It's a good origin story. But James McAvoy annoys me in it. I don't know why. I just don't think he's a very good child yeah, of game. Really? I quite like him. I do like him as well, yeah. And I quite like him as an actor, though, so maybe I that's thought... got something to do. I remember you guys talking about it when I wasn't here once. I think it might have been when you did Die Hard, not that it had any relation to Die Hard, but I remember listening to the podcast. And I think I agree. I would have agreed with you guys then that it's... It's a good, fun comic book action film. It's nothing really deeper than that, but it, yeah, it's a it's a it's a decent stab at an action franchise. I thought Fastbender was pretty good at, um, as Magneto, but I thought Kevin Bacon as the main villain was good <laughs> until he stopped speaking German. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to get bored of it after a while, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought while he was actually speaking German. He was actually quite good. It, yeah. There was a bit of menace to him. But as soon, yeah. as, soon as he stopped speaking German, he was rubbish. That's fair enough, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, also, it's got um, a thingy who's just gone sh- through the stratosphere now, uh, Jennifer Lawrence as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, that was one of the early roles for Jennifer Lawrence and look at she's back for Days of Future Past which has also got Peter Dinklage in as well from Game of Thrones the imp from Game of Thrones he's like a major part in the new film um, so yeah it's, it's got a lot of really good actors in it I, I liked Days of Future and it, Matt Vaughan is a great director as well I, I really like Matt Vaughan's work so it may be I'd, I'd happily sec- watch it again maybe want to see the second sequel enough to see kind of because in in the first of the X-Men film I don't think a lot of the characters are in it and I kind of want to know what happens mm. to them why they're not there um, yeah, but yeah. And, and Patrick Stewart and uh, uh, Ian McKellen have been signed up for it as well so we get the transition uh, from the X-Men that we kind of know from the original trilogy uh, well to them from the James McAvoy Michael Fassbender uh, era as well, so that'll be interesting to see how that works. I um, I said when I reviewed this like a while back, Steve, that I thought the script was quite ropey. What did you think of the script? It was fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. You not think it was a bit hit and miss? Like some of the dialogue just felt really odd and stuck on. Not not overly. Ah, must just be me then. That's you told you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they tried to to move things along with the montage scene, which was just a bit out of place at the time. That's the only problem I had with... I'm a sucker for a montage. (laughs) We need a montage. (laughs) Especially if it's a montage that features getting a a team of people together. Yeah, that's always (laughs) a good montage. Then I I just don't... I'd have that in every film if I could. I wouldn't even care why. (laughs) Or carry me up through the snow. Have we done a triple bill of montages yet? No. 
Rocky that, Four, that's, Rocky that's, Two. Rocky Four, Rocky Two. Rocky two. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, anyway, um, the other film that I watched was Sweeney, starring Ray Winston and Ben Drew, aka Plan B, who play two cops who play by nobody else's rules but their own. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> how how did they make a film out yeah. of that? That is. I am stunned that someone went down that route for a film, Steve. Tell me more. It's rubbish. Neither, <laughs> neither of them two can act. Well, Ray Winston can probably act, but he just chooses not to in this film. Ben Drew can't act. The car chases are rubbish. They're like in really basic, like kind of cars that I'd own. Like there's just no kind of excitement in them. It's just rubbish. On every level, it's poor. That's the best bit about it, though. The fact that it's just like two shitty cars riding around a caravan park. I think that was quite good. <laughs> I like that about it. Wow. Jesus, selling it to me. thrilling. But it, listen, it was good. Does Winston say, get your knickers on and make us a cup of tea? Or something <laughs> like that. He does, he does say, get your trousers on your knick. Okay. Yeah, it, it's dreadful. <laughs> are they unbelievably cockney as well, Steve? Oh, they are so cockney. Yeah, I can imagine. They are proper Cockney. But it's like an ode to old uh, cop shows, you know, British it's cop not, shows, but with a kind of new contemporary twist on it. Yeah, but I would probably prefer it if it was just like a homage to the original Sweeney rather than just, here's the same names, but we're going to make it all modern and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the kids don't want to go and see these films set in the olden times, though, Steve. I don't uh, care. Life on Mars is quite popular, wasn't it? Life on Mars is quite yeah. popular. I'm sure they could... Oh, no, yeah, it was a different kind... Of, I, I imagine Life on Mars had a different kind of audience to the audience... That's that true. ...the film The Sweeney had. Yeah. I imagine that the people who went to see The Sweeney in the cinema, on the whole, unless they like had unlimited uh, Cineworld cards and just had a little bit of... <laughs> anyone who paid money to go and see it are the type of people who'll go and watch Danny Dyer films. That's the audience you're looking at, in my opinion. They're the type of people that I don't want to socialise with. Yeah, that's right, Steve. <laughs> so you waited till you could watch it at home and then get angry they're at the it. Kind of people, they're the kind of people who Sky Plus Jeremy Kyle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. To see their friends. <laughs> yes. Uh, James, what have you watched this week? Um, right, well, I, I recommended last week a documentary called Hot Coffee, which I did get round to watching, and it's a documentary about tort reform. Sexy. Uh, but it's, it's a really interesting documentary. It's on Netflix US, and it's, it basically looks into what a lot of people think are frivolous lawsuits, but it scratches beneath the surface and actually looks at the fact that this idea that there's a load of people making frivolous lawsuits out there is an idea pushed by corporations and by right-wing politicians to uh, enable corporations to get more protection in law from people actually suing them for the right reasons. So everyone's heard of the court case of the woman who spilt hot coffee, who the film's named after that, um, in her lap, and oh, she she got one two point seven million dollars from McDonald's, and they have to write caution contents hot on their cups and stuff like that. And you think, God, yeah, what a frivolous lawsuit! And you actually look into. They show you the case and warning: do not watch this film while you're having your tea because you'll see the badly, I think, third degree burned inner thighs of a seventy year old woman. 
you can't unsee that. That's that was quite a shocking see. But you actually realise how horrifically injured she was from this cup of coffee, and the fact that they did were serving the coffee at ridiculously hot temperatures, far too hot than they should have been. And then you actually start to think, oh, okay, well, how come I thought it was a frivolous lawsuit? I was under the impression it was. It's because of this message pushed out by the media. So it's a really, really interesting story about the dark mechanics of corporate America. Um, and actually, these kind of things have happened over here as well. So very interesting documentary if you're into that kind of thing. The other film I did watch, because obviously we've got a monster's double header, and I thought, well, I want to watch another kind of monstery, kind of disastery type film to go with that. And there was a lot of Twitter buzz about um, sci-fi's premiere in America last week of Sharknado, um, the uh, film from The Asylum, uh, the filmmakers who I think bought us Arachnoquake um, and probably many other films along those lines. Now, I looked back and in about our fourth or fifth podcast ever, we mentioned Sharknado. We are so ahead of the curve. <laughs> there was a poster of it at Cannes, which someone... Um, sent to me and we talked about it over a year ago on our podcast so you know we're proper on the finger on the pulse there what I will say basically its tagline is enough said okay sharknado enough said yeah it's about a huge tropical storm tornado hurricanes that just suck a thousand sharks out the sea don't ask about the science Um, uh, and James and launch them on color. Well, it's quite interesting that, you know, it is on the science, well, the sci-fi channel. They've had to take science fiction out of their name because there's no science in this clip. What's, what's annoyed me about watching this film? Just, I started watching it thinking, oh, yeah, this will be a bit of fun. I fell into this trap. Oh, let's watch this stupid bad film. It'll be a bit of fun to watch. And then I, I thought, oh, I've got to watch 90 minutes of what is essentially terrible filmmaking. I've got no problem with films like, I've got no problem with B movies. I, I yeah but at least try hard. It, that that's the thing. I don't care if a film is cheap and has to take shortcuts, but the people at the heart of it should at least want to be trying to make an entertaining film. Yeah, you know, Roger Corman made his entire career on it as a producer and director, um made Death Race two thousand, made a load of films with Vincent Price in the 60s, load of kind of Edgar Allan Poe things, introduced the world to... He was the first man to cast Jack Nicholson in a role and things like that. Um, he, he used to make films in three weeks on a complete shoestring budget, but there was still enough star quality, something interesting about it, something entertaining. Uh, this was... Okay, it's got terrible, properly terrible actors, like worse-than-advert actors... Actor, I, I, I don't get how any of these people have even been paid for their work. It, it stunned me the level of um, acting skill on show. The CGI was like something that CITV would have been quite ashamed of in the mid nineties. Uh, yeah, it looked worse than an episode of Nightmare, and it, it, there were more shark deaths in the first ten minutes than in the entirety of Jaws. And lines like "sharks don't like Vegemite" when they didn't eat an Australian man. And the worst thing about it, actually, like I say, is the fact that it just doesn't even try. And that that's what annoyed me the most. So one thing that annoyed me most about Dark Shadows last year, which I think was my worst film of the year last year, because I felt like it was a group of lazy people not even bothering to make a good film. This did that on an even worse scale. Now, a few years ago, I I enjoyed 
snakes on a plane, ludicrous premise, um, but at least it had some decent actors involved in it, putting in some half-decent performances, and you could tell the people involved were actually trying to make a half-decent film, and, and it was edited properly, and they had some continuity going. And it doesn't take too much to, um, to at least do the basics right. And if you do the basics right, then have a bit of fun along the way. But my main issue with Sharknado is it they, they literally couldn't edit a film. It was like they'd got the work experience boy into edit it. And that's just fucking lazy. And um, I've, I've just got to stage now, my mum used to tell me, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Well, if you can't make anything but shit films, don't bother. I'm just angry. <laughs> but I know Owen, want, Owen, Owen asked me beforehand, what did I expect? Would that be fair, Owen? Would that be your question to me? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Snakes on a Plane. That's, yeah. Those kind of... I think you've got to take them separately from something like Sharknado. Shark, Snakes okay. on a Plane was a clever parody of yeah. So Bad They're Good films. And it okay, ended up yeah. being quite a good film on its yeah. own, as well as being a good, a, you know, quite a clever sort of satire of those type of films. Yeah. Whereas Sharknado is literally the film that's being parodied. You know, it's the made for about 10 grand probably in order to treble its uh, you know budget by people spreading rumors about how shit it is and then that means it's notorious so people have to watch it and then they pay for it and then it makes its money back that way they don't set out to make a lot of money but they don't put a lot of money into it i think that's literally just so they can make a bit of cash it's the same as um you know asylum who just make mm. mockbusters because they know people will yeah. watch and go, oh, did you see Transmorphers and how shit it was? Oh, yeah. no, I didn't see Transmorphers. I'll watch it on TV and then there'll be adverts in it and we'll make a bit of money back from that. that that's just how it works. Human Centipede. I, I mean, I felt duped by Human Centipede because that was when I sort of realised that, you know what, they don't put effort into making a good film. They just want to put something out there that they know is just going to it's going to have a reputation and then through word of mouth it'll spread and then more people will watch it because of that. So I can I, I know why you're angry about it. I yeah, I I I get that. I get the commercial reason they exist. I do I just don't get the I I don't get that there is an audience for that. I I've got maybe there was when I was a I'm sure there when I was younger and more immature. Maybe it's just the fact that I value my time more now. I don't get how anyone in the world could justify spending 90 minutes of their life watching something so so on purpose so purposefully bad as this film and like i bet the asylum have made better films than this um because literally the i the editing was like someone putting it together on windows movie maker it is horrible i was expecting a star wipe you know like in the simpsons when uh homer is editing a home video and he keeps putting star wipes in everywhere <laughs> it, was, it was at that level of let's do this it's a fucking horrible film uh, and and for the first time i'm reviewing a film that i turned off after half an hour and i did it out of principle because I need to protect the world. I'm, tr I'm on a mission to civilise. Stop watching this. No Go and watch a Ken Loach film instead of watching this utter crap. There, sorry. Ben Wheatley film. Even watch it. At least Ben Wheatley's trying to make a good film. At least he's doing something. At least he knows how to edit. And at least his actors know how to act. This has gotten... There is not one single redeeming quality about this. Even Tara Reid looks terrible. Um... Uh, and Steve's still in mourning for Tara Reid's 
career and looks, I can tell. I think I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, Sci-Fi UK have bought the premiere for Sharknado in September, and uh, over 100,000 idiots will watch it, but yeah. please don't be one of them. Right, uh, we'll have a quick break, and we'll be back with Monsters University. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. So, yes, Monsters University then. The prequel to the successful Pixar film, Monsters, Inc., uh, from 10 years ago now, is it? Or is it more than that? Yeah, I think it might be 12 years ago, actually. Uh, yeah, I think, oh, yeah, it's around then. This, Doing our research as ever. This one tells the story of the protagonists from the first film, Mike and Sully, and how they met at college. Here is a clip of it. Princess and I'm just a stable boy. Mm. Yeah! Mom! What are you doing? You grab me paws in my bed! Were you kissing my hand? <laughs> no. And what about you with all your shedding? I don't shed. Really? Ah, Excuse me. I just want to get my but stuff. But you just need hey, me get my stuff! Ah. 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 Ow. First morning in the house. That's going in the album. So yeah, a clip there from uh, Monsters University, which is uh, the the duo are back: Billy Crystal and John Goodman playing Mike Wazowski and uh, uh, Sullivan. What's his name again? Sully James. James James P. Sullivan. Yes, um, spending time at university. Pixar's first ever prequel. Um, yeah, who wants to start on that one then? Can I? I have not seen it, so I, I've got. Yeah. I've got a question. Yeah. I mean, amazingly enough, this is now the third highest grossing film of the year for the U.S. Wow. box office. However, it's really interesting because it came out, you know, um, late June, I think, in, in America. Uh, Despicable Me actually opened with a uh, million dollars more than this, and it's mm-hmm. just behind it with less time in screen. So Despicable Me 2 looks like it's going to outperform this, which is amazing to me. Mm. Those well, who've seen both... What's the comparison maybe, like? I've not seen Despicable Me 1 or 2, but maybe it's because Monsters University is a prequel, but the film's out 12 years after the original, so a lot of the fans of the original are going to be grown-ups now and maybe not going to see kids' films. But the, the, the gap between Despicable Me and Despicable Me 2 aren't coming out, are coming out aren't, isn't that big, so the fan base is still the same. There's an element of that, I think. Um... But Owen, Owen's the only one who's seen both of them. Am I? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, no, I've still not seen Despicable Me Too. Yeah. Um. So, and I, th- I, I think you're going to say that Despicable Me Too is better. A lot better. For for a start, they actually in Despicable Me Too have funny bits in it. I think is the main difference. I know Despicable Me Too's story was a bit so-so. There wasn't much effort put into it on that side of things, but. They at least made it a funny film. Um, Monsters, Inc., uh, not Monsters, Inc., whichever one, Monsters University, sorry, um, seems to be all about the story, which isn't that good anyway. It's not that entertaining, and it's just, there's no no laughs in it. I think it was the incredible Burt Wonderstone where I said that, you know, they 
thought about the story, they've thought about the characters, and they've thought about how it's all going to work. And then when they've yeah. come to writing the script, they've just completely forgot how to put any jokes into stuff. I think that's actually a very fair criticism of Monsters University. I, the Monsters, Inc. is probably my favourite Pixar film out of all of them. I adore Monsters, Inc. It's funny. It's incredibly clever. Uh, it creates this unbelievable world just based on a very small idea of monsters coming through your bedroom door. Yeah, it's it, absolutely wonderful. I think the uh, on the line scene, I think, is probably the best single scene Pixar yeah. I've ever done. Yes, yeah, um, and uh, I think Owen's right with this. I, 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 I'd give a little bit more credit to the story in Mon- uh, Monsters University. I thought, I thought the story was pretty well conceived. Uh, it continued um, the ideas from the first film. Uh, I, it was quite clever in the sense that it looked at lots of college movie tropes. It reminded me a lot of old school in a lot of ways, and other, you know, basically it was like uh, in the way that old school was. Let's do a college uh, college comedy with middle-aged guys. This is let's do a college comedy with monsters, and you know, goes through almost exactly the same thing that happened in any college set comedy uh, you know the big competition the deans threatening to expel people all that kind of thing and all that kind of tied in really quite well together and there was a lot of you learn a little bit more about sully's you know origins and mike wazowski's origins stuff like that but owen's right they they forgot to put jokes in it yeah they what's, forgot to make any of it funny what's the point uh, in you know expanding on these characters that <laughs> They're cartoon characters in a kids' film. Let's be honest, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're not. <laughs> who cares about yeah, the history it, of them if they're not exactly making laugh? It misses. It misses both its audiences. In in my you know, basically what you've what you've set up is actually quite an adult film because how many kids are going to get the college yeah, uh, right. campus comedy tropes? No, no kids are going to get that. Um, kids want to see some funny stuff. And some and some things that they can relate to, and there's I can't imagine many kids relating to the storyline here. It's the same mistake Pixar made with Cars too, as well. Yeah, you know, the really complicated spy-based plotline, traveling the globe and stuff like that. Basically, a James Bond parody. It's like kids don't get that you're doing a James Bond parody in Cars 2. Kids don't get that this is like old school or something like that. This is like Porky's. This is um, like that brilliant episode of The Simpsons where Homer has to go back to college and everything like that. You know, kids <laughs> won't get those... <laughs> yes. Kids, you know, oh, the crusty Dean. You know, kids won't get any of those tropes. And, but they've forgotten to put anything in for them apart from just relying on the fact that um, it's these characters that we know and love. And that's literally what got me through this film. And, you know, the goodwill of those characters and some really great voice acting from a lot of people, actually. I looked at the cast afterwards. It's an incredible cast in terms of some great... Um, Charlie Day turns up, who's also in Pacific Rim from uh, It's Always Sunny... Uh, in. Philadelphia, always, yeah, sunny in Philadelphia. Um, Aubrey Plaza's in it. Um, Old oh, Joel Murray's in it as well. You know, there's a, there's actually a really good voice cast, um, but th- there's just no jokes. It's not funny enough. It's nowhere near funny enough. I think I smiled a few times, um, and that was about it. And 
it really disappointed me in that sense because I'd really hoped, I'd feared this would be what happened, but I'd hoped that Pixar would have done something with this, and I don't think they have, and I'm really disappointed. Steve, what did you think? I thought it was a bit better than what you two have met. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't Pixar's worst. It wasn't their best. No, it that'll was, always be Cars Two. Almost. It, it, it was fine. It looks a lot better than what Planes will be. For what is worth. Um, Planes isn't going to be um, Pixar, though, is it? I think that's going to be one that's taken on by Disney. You got silent again. No. No. Nope. But then if it's gone silent for him, he won't hear us saying this. Ah. Hello? So it's a bit of a redundant question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I can hear everyone again now. I don't know what happened there. Sorry, Steve. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what? I've got a horrible feeling I've sat on the volume button of my mic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, yeah, did you have anything else to say? Because the thing would have picked it all up. It was just my mic that was muted. So when I started interrupting, saying hello, had you finished what you were saying? Not quite. Okay. Do you want to do it again? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, fucking today. It's this heat. It, it wasn't their worst film. It wasn't their best. It's not as bad as Cars or Cars Two. Um. I'd say Cars is better than this. No. Yeah. I honestly yeah. would. I quite. Cars has, Cars has got more jokes in it. Yeah. <laughs> and what I will say is it did look fantastic. It, but you kind of expect that now. That's the technology. There was hardly any jokes in Brave, and people were bloody loving that. Oh, yeah. I really liked Brave. I thought Brave had a few jokes in it. I, yeah. Brave, I thought Brave was a touch better than this. No, I'm just saying it had a few jokes in it, but it wasn't exactly a. An out and out comedy, and well, this this kind of you know there was still funny bits in it. It was still enjoyable. Kids will still like it. It's probably done its job. I don't know if kids will like it though. Kids, I don't. Oh, monsters and colours! They'll bloody love anything. (laughs) They're easily pleased. (laughs) I'll 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 let you know when I finally. I'm definitely not going to bother taking my daughter to see it, but when it when it's out, I'll I'll rent it and see what she thinks of it. Um. But I, I think it, you can't ignore the fact that Pixar are in a bit of a trough at the moment. And it may be, maybe not commercially so. They might still be making as much money as they need to be making. But in, critically, um, and more importantly, from the point of view of us four, you know, let's, let's not forget that's the most important point of view here, um, they're kind of not doing very well at the moment. And it's a few... I, I know Owen likes Brave a lot. I thought it was decent. Um, and I thought this was all right. But I think I think I worked out the other day, six, six earlier Pixar films, possibly seven, would be in my top five films of the year that they were released in. And I just—it's really difficult to see Pixar making a film like that at the moment. Oh, and I would just like to say, yeah, the the short film at the beginning with Twee Bollocks as well. Yeah, didn't like it at all. Rubbish. Yeah, um, I liked a, a few of the images in it, but the story itself was 
like a low rent version of the Paperman story that I loved at the beginning of Wreck It Ralph. So no, did I not. Think if it was just like a standalone short and someone showed you it, you'd just think, no, nah, it's okay. I guess. Uh, it but felt as... like a John Lewis advert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, felt like but, a John Lewis advert. It even had the twee kind of acoustic-y yeah. woman. Ah, yeah, music. exactly. Yeah. But as um, a short before a Pixar film, it's just not what anybody wants to see. They don't They don't want to see flipping umbrellas with faces drawn on them. No. What you want when you um, go and see Pixar is something like that Luna short that they oh, had. Oh, Luna you know, was fantastic, yeah. Something like exactly. that. Or the, the thing that they had with the birds, you know, on the... On the yeah. like, just something a bit more fun and... Mm cartoonish and cheerful and I don't know I just thought it was just crap wasn't it yeah but you know so if you look at Pixar's run recently though it's been you know we had Cars 2 Brave Monsters University and now we we know that Wreck there Ralph. will be Wreck a Wreck-It Ralph was a Disney film not a Pixar film and it wasn't Disney and I quite liked <laughs> it I, I tell you what though I, I preferred it to a lot of Pixar's recent output. Um, Planes, Ralph, which is out later, is another Disney one, not a Pixar one, yeah. um, despite using a Pixar setup. Um, yeah, the Finding Dory is going to be out soon. I've I've got low hopes. I love Finding Nemo. Yeah, but they've picked, the, they've picked the most irritating character from Finding Nemo to be the central one for that. Well, they did that with Cars too, didn't they? That yeah. bloody Mater thing. That Mater, yeah, I know. Um, but anyway, I I've, I've, I've it goes it. back to kind of what we were saying, doesn't it, about um, audience and, and ticket sales not really mm. telling the whole story. They're damaging their brand with this repeated shit film output. Yeah. Everything's a sequel at the moment, or Brave's just fairy tale. It's an, it's an, old, it's an old story, it's an old idea. They've had, I've had an original idea at Pixar probably since Wally. Up, and was brilliant. Up, Up was fantastic. That was that. Yeah. Up, sorry. Since since Up, they haven't had an original yeah. idea, and that's their problem. Mm. Yeah, because they had a really great run there of um of completely new and original films. Ratatouille, Wally, and Up mm. were three brilliant original and the Incredibles before that as well. And The Incredibles as well, that no one else was making, no one else would even think of making. And I've, I've used this analogy before, and I'm going to say it again because I like it. Uh, and anyone who has played computer games over the years, um, Pixar are pro-Evo soccer now. Uh, that For years, everyone just assumed they were the best at what they did. And actually in the last few years, other people who people used to deride and say were derivative have come up and come up with some interesting films of doing different things. So you've got the company, uh, who makes Despicable Me, for example. I know they've made a second one, it's a franchise, but that was a completely different idea, out of nowhere, really nice animation. Jerry, who made that again? Which studio? Oh, now you're asking me. Uh, it's because you said it in your review. Uh, was it Universal I, I Pictures who did it? I think they might have published, uh, well, not published it, it yeah. distributed. Yeah. Um, DreamWorks, for example, uh, you know, How to Train Your Dragon was a really, really top quality film. Um, the guys who made Rango, you know, you've got a load of people now who are doing, who have been inspired in a sense by what Pixar have done, and have been challenged to improve themselves 
and they're they're starting to reach that level now. And Pixar, to me, feel like they're resting on their laurels. And nothing says that more than the fact that they're just content to dole out some more sequels to films and let the the rumours of Toy Story 4 continue to circulate because they know that that will make them loads of money. But is there actually really another story to tell there? And the the way they've dealt with a Monsters University, um, uh, you know, a Monsters Inc. sequel or prequel, makes me dread the idea that they might go back to Toy Story and ruin that for me now. Okay, uh, well, we'll have another quick break and back with our review of Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim is this summer's big, big budget action sci-fi blockbuster about some kind of creatures that come up through a dimension and try to destroy Earth and then we build some big old robot things to fight them and it stars um, Robert Perlman and Idris Elba and that one who used to be in Dream Team and then EastEnders <laughs> yeah here's a clip I believe that kaiju bone powder is 500 bucks a pound what do you want? I need to access a kaiju brain. Completely intact. No, no, no. The skull plate is so dense that by the time you drill into it... The brain's rotted away, but I'm talking about the secondary brain. Now, we both know that the kaiju are so large, they need two brains to move around like a dinosaur. I want to get my hands on that. Hmm. What the hell do you want a secondary brain for anyway? I mean, every part of the kaiju cell. Cartilage, spleen, liver. Even the crap. But the brain... Too much ammonia. So what's the deal, little fella? Well, that's classified. So I couldn't tell you, even if I wanted to. But it is pretty cool. Okay, so yeah, that was uh, Charlie Day and Ron Perlman there. Um, rare, playing a rare human character in a Del Toro film. Um, so yeah, basically, it is big-ass aliens from another dimension attack us through the ocean, we build big-ass robots to kick the shit out of them. It's Del Toro's loving tribute to the Godzilla films of the, the 50s, 60s, 70s. Who wants to kick us off? I don't mind. I'll say, first of all, um, I thought it was a good blockbuster. A really good, fun, does exactly what it says on the tin, sort of action sci-fi, CGI-filled blockbuster. I think if anybody who doesn't like Pacific Rim probably would have known that before they went to see it. It's that sort of film, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, no, that's true, actually. I think if you set your expectations at what it's going to be, then you can't, you shouldn't be disappointed. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, if, if, I don't think people should limit themselves, though, in terms of... I think anyone who likes, sort of, or has ever liked anime or anything with robots or comic books and all that kind of thing is is going to like this. But I think yeah. it's it can be more universal. I think its problem is that it's going to have sort of young, you know, men under 35 kind of demographic going to it. And I think there is some wider appeal to it, to be honest. Okay. Well, I that's think interesting. The, the difference is that people with a sort of affinity for the inspirations for it, shall we say, will be more forgiving of its flaws. Of which there are many. As I said, don't, don't you start with this shit, you jaded 
No, no. I, do you know what? My, and I'll just come right out and say it. My biggest issue was there wasn't enough robots kicking the shit out of aliens. Okay? When, when there was some big old epic scale destruction of cities and aliens and big robots, I was so in this film. I was I loving the shit out of it. Loved those bits. My problem was about 90 minutes of the film was shocking dialogue and cliched storytelling and some decent acting and then some not so decent acting and I found myself getting bored at points in this film. I think you've got to admire them for not doing the sort of Transformers or let's do a big CGI scene and and just hurry something along to get to the next one. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, no. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think the pacing of the film was really well done. My problem was I wasn't that interested in the stuff that wasn't monsters being beaten by robots because that bit wasn't written very well at all. Uh, it was there wasn't even that much fun to it. There wasn't a kind of a sense of comedy, uh, which the 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 comedy was kind of supplied by the two scientists and Bern Gorman's bizarre Lee Evans impression. I'm mm. not. Quite sure. Because well, 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 Newt was like a Rick Moranis impression, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It was. Um, I thought those yeah. two were the weakest links in the film. I thought they really let it down, and they seemed very jarring as well. Yeah. yeah. I think Newt no, no. got better as the film went on. By the time that it was finished, and he was doing his bit yeah. towards the end of the film, I did grow to like him a bit more. But I think the the problem they had through the whole film really was that there weren't really any likable characters. Idris Elba was probably the most likable, and I did quite no, like. And ja- mainly because he was cool. And might, mainly because it was likeable. cool, yeah, exactly. But and the <laughs> Japanese girl, I thought was okay. She was alright. Yeah. But she was probably the only one who had any kind of depth to her as well. But, and even her deep, you know, her deep dark secret and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't that <laughs> deep <and> dark, <laughs> really. end, was it? No, it was. No. A, uh, like I say, I. I, I thought it for me this film was on a par with World War Z Get in that, that <laughs> in that it was a blockbuster that entertained me and had some really good moments and its good moments were very good um but I I just I, I'm finding it difficult to forgive such a terrible script and and I sat there thinking I can't believe this is this script is from the same guy that did um, Pan's Labyrinth. And then I thought, yeah, but he also did Hellboy and Hellboy 2, and he also did Blade 2. And I was thinking, is I Pan's Labyrinth... here is that the guy who wrote it with him wrote Clash of the Titans as well. Oh, Jesus Christ. Travis Beecher. I did... Oh, God. So I suspect that's, that's come in, and that influences but why... where all that crappy, cliché dialogue comes in. Which makes perfect sense, but it does make me think... Why? Why is Del Toro? I've built Del Toro up to be some kind of like genius director, pretty much based entirely on Pan's Labyrinth, and I'm starting to think that maybe that was his great work. My view on Del Toro is does. when he works in Hollywood, I don't think he functions as well in the Hollywood studio system as he does mm. in the Mexican and Spanish systems. Okay. And that, that's happened with a lot of European directors, and I could totally sympathise. Yes, and I mean he's. The, I mean, this is a guy who who had to buy a whole extra house because he has so many comics and mm. weird stuff, right? I mean, he is massive. 
massive on all this kind of stuff. His movies and his comic books, he, he's like an encyclopedia, and apparently, you know, he's got a pretty photographic memory as well. So there's so many little references. There's so much love and passion coming through for the whole Japanese inspiration of this all the way through, and it's it's so passionately done, especially the bits that involve the robots, shall we say. I think he's probably has less to do with the the interactions between the pilots and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He seems to have taken his eye off the ball there because I think he was, he was so concerned with making sure all the other bits looked amazing and fitted his vision. And they did. And they did. And they was, there were such highs in this film. There were bits I was on the edge of my seat. The bits I was almost wanted to jump up and cheer. Um, and that was why it just... I, it just really brought me crashing back down to earth when I then had to sit through 20 minutes of mundane, oh, he's a maverick pilot, or, you know, it's like, oh, just get on with it. Get on with smashing some more shit up. Or, get on with injury. What I kind of missed, I didn't want to know too much about the, pirate, uh, the pilots. Um, I wanted to know more. I think it could have done with, like I say, the pace was perfect for me, but those quieter bits could have been, okay, well, why have the assorted um, nations around the world decided to cut funding for this program and build their resources into a wall. Is there a deeper, darker reason for the reason that maybe there's some corrupt governments at play here and stuff? And that, there, something like that could have been explored far more than mopey bloody idiots just moping around a base all but the time. I think part of that can be explained by Del Toro's stance on sort of film length. He doesn't like films that are over two hours, does he? So he wanted to get everything in Oh, oh yeah, minutes. just replace the boring pilot stuff. Just replace <laughs> the boring nonsense but with a bit of interesting... Or even half the boring nonsense with something a little bit more interesting. I suspect this has been written in one way and then rewritten once it became clear that a sequel was being made. I think there's right. a universe in his head. And I think he. Hmm. this was a... Let's get some... Let's ground it in some characters and get that established. And then... The second one might explore the wider world and the you know the political things and you know what happens before the Jaeger things or it might go back in time and look at all the political stuff there and he is very good at sort of exploring all that but I think this has a definite feel of let's get this established let's make it engaging and have some you know one or two key characters and then we can build a franchise off it and I think that's part and parcel of what working in Hollywood involves. I think he. I mean, he he openly says, you know, you you couldn't make a film like Pan's Labyrinth in Hollywood, and you couldn't make a film like Pacific Rim in Spain. So he he, no. he acknowledges that he does different things when he's working in different places. And I think his absolute genius comes right to the front when he makes his films in the smaller environments. You know, like yeah. Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth. And I think his geeky love is very useful for making films like this. And I think he he, has, he kind of separates out the two things. And I think this... You're never going to get the depth of something like Pan's Labyrinth with this. I mean, you're just not. But he still brings the same kind of passion and absolute love for the source material here. And absolute, you know, rever- it's, you know there's, there's real reverence for everything about this. And there's a whole universe. And I, I think the, the common theme between these works is that there is a really believable universe around this film that doesn't need to be spoken about. But, you you know, this... I mean, at no point did this feel like it was a really false situation, you know? Oh, no. 
Definitely, and the opening five minutes um, where the film basically set up the universe that we're watching this film in, I, I, I drew me in completely. It's absolutely, and I love the fact that, and yeah, not spoiling, I think, because it's literally in the opening monologue telling you about the film. The fact that the aliens came and then we beat them, and mankind got uh, became full of hubris, and we started selling cuddly toys of the kaiju and stuff like that. That was a completely believable world. I love that. Um, I love the world that they have created. I love the the fact that you know the the kind of cityscapes that we had there. The fact that it was a very global story as well. All of those bits really brilliant. I just think I I just can't. I've got this nagging feeling of a missed opportunity um, because that. Do you know what? There are good script writers in Hollywood. There are people who can write clever, engaging, and at times witty scripts. And they cost probably the same amount of money as the guy they got to write this. And that annoys me. Because this is a lazy, lazy... It's a lazy script. The, the special effects are fantastic. You can tell that Del Toro loves, loves the story that he's telling. You can, you can feel his passion come across on the screen. I totally agree with you. But they just couldn't... It's like they literally couldn't be asked with the script. And that annoys me. I just think there's so much to like about this film. I, I mean, I'm perfectly happy to overlook. I mean, I can see that there's different, tri- you know, what I would consider trivial problems with it, and you know, those two characters in particular, the Doctor characters, I really didn't like. They did improve as the film went on, as Owen said, but I, I hated the Aussie characters as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. That, it's one of those films where there's a lot of things I can see are wrong with it, but ultimately, there was just so much to enjoy about it that I, I still really, really like this film. No, and that's fair enough. Oh, no, I totally agree. Um, also, I only yeah, found some, out afterwards some, that there's, there's an additional scene. Anybody watching, who, who, uh, listening to this who hasn't seen it yet, after the credits, there's an additional scene which I didn't oh, know about. Man, I didn't know about it. I walked out. Oh. Yeah, same. I'm getting a bit sick of them. Yeah, I can't be bothered to yeah. hang around for two, at least, twelve t- seconds. At least tell me beforehand. You know, at yeah, at least tell me beforehand that you're going to do it. Don't. On the off chance I might hang around because you know I've got I've got stuff to do. Credits these days are like twelve minutes long well, exactly. or something. Like twelve minutes to sit around on the off chance. Okay, well it'll be on YouTube at some point. I'm sure. I think um, Andrew Selva as well in this was. I mean, I think he is a great actor anyway. But I think Del Toro yeah. did a really good job of making him quite Shakespearean. If that yeah, makes sense. definitely, definitely. And did you spend the whole film? waiting for him to do his speech because that <laughs> that is a problem with trade you know i knew that speech almost word for word i'd seen it so bloody often this summer so part of me did spend a ho- the whole film going come on when's he gonna do the speech at the end of our hope and yeah that, that <laughs> i think the it. interesting and thing i did get my hairs on my arm go up a little bit there the interesting thing about that is you kind of he's being set up by the trailer as this inspirational leader who does this amazing speech but then when he's introduced, he's not... Do you know what I mean? He gets knocked down by the political people. You know, he, he's, exactly. he's not... So I, I thought it was quite interesting that he chose to do yeah. that and then you watch him... He's basically... Um, more like that as the film goes on. He's Nick Fury, isn't he? he he's the Avengers Nick Fury. But he's so. way better than Nick Fury. <laughs> uh, well, I'd imagine sure that face off. <laughs> Samuel L versus Idris. We need to get that happening. Uh, no, sorry. Sort of, sort of finish the review... Yes. Should we talk about the visuals? Because that was probably the strongest aspect of it, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we yeah. talked about oh. like Transformers. The fight scenes in Transformers, notorious for being just so you can't make anything that's messes. happening. Yeah. Yeah. This, I thought, was just... They got it spot on. You, they held yeah. all the right colours, all these really sort of primary colours that stood out. Yeah. And the lighting on it made it look so 
epic and I thought it was considering loads of it took place in the dark and the rain. Yeah. It actually looked fantastic in that yeah. sense. Yeah. And they got the, uh, the right sort of international feel to it as well. The bits yeah. that took place yeah. in Australia and then you had the bits in Hong Kong and just in yeah. open seas and stuff. It I thought they got it to look just just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. How did it look in 3D, Owen? Because I saw it in 2D, and it's a post-conversion. What did you think of it in 3D? I thought they made it um, work, actually. Mm. Um, not often that I think that they make it work. Sometimes I think it's just to the point where you don't notice it, but um, they actually made it so parts of it just... They stood out as you, you thought, oh, that looks really good in 3D, actually. There's, there's parts with the, the fights where you've got, um, you know, the, the three-armed... Chinese thing that's mm. just got yeah. spinning everywhere. That did look quite good. That was almost part of, part of like a, you know, like Dread, where you had the, the, the mm. woman falling towards the screen, and that yeah. looked like it was actually coming towards the screen. But I know that was shot differently to to Pacific Rim. But the, 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 that that worked. I think they made it look good, which is impressive considering, like you say, it's it's post conversion to 3D. Mm. So yeah, it was good. Quickly going back to Owen's last point as well. I think. On the visuals, he did such a fantastic job of keeping that anime style, and some of it was very distinctly, you know, this feels like something out of the Ghost in the Shell and that kind of ilk, but also making it very unique and keeping the sort of Hollywood aspect of it. And it didn't just feel like someone, you know, in the way that 300 was recreating a comic book, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like that, yet it still felt very respectful for the comic book and that was a real yeah. delicate balance and it made it that's what makes it so stunning I think because it's that that marriage of comic book and anime style with true sort of cinematic style as well if, that, if that's the right way to describe it I'd agree cool. yeah it kind of bl- it's, I mean it's obviously like you say it, it's owed to the stuff he loves isn't it so you've got mm. bits of Evangelion in there and bits of Gundam Wing and stuff like that as well as like the, the I love the big sort of crab monster that was in it just very yeah. briefly. But you know, that's obviously towards a nod towards the like James said earlier on, the fifties and sixties mm. kind of Japanese big rubber monsters, men in costumes kind of film. Yeah. Actually what one other last point on that, a few of the effects almost felt like they were models being blown up rather than CGI and that they uh, but in a good way. Uh, that during the fight scenes, a few when they crashed through it crashed through some buildings. It was almost like they were crashing through model buildings, mm. and I don't know if it was, but it felt like it. But like I say, in a good way, it felt like a homage. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel like pixels on a screen. It felt like something physically being destroyed, and that that felt nice to me as well. I think, I mean, we've had like Oblivion this year, and we've had like After Earth and these kind of things. We've had all sorts of apocalyptic films before. I think the apocalypse has never looked as good as it does in this film. <laughs> Ever. Um, yeah. Best end- but it's been cancelled, so it's okay. Best end this discussion here and have a little break and then come on to um, what's on next week and what we recommend to watch. Yeah, so, um, what would you recommend, James, for people to watch this week? Okay, I'm going for my third documentary in a row because, as I said earlier, I'm on a mission to civilise. I'm on a mission to educate. Uh, it's a documentary that I've spoken about, um, I think, last year. It was one of my favourite sporting documentaries, and I've seen that it's on Netflix. Um, it, a weekend I, At the weekend, I watched uh, England's incredible victory in the first Ashes test against Australia. Uh, I'm a big cricket fan, but there's a documentary that I've seen that 
I think does for cricket what Senna did for motor racing. I, I'm not a motor racing fan, but I loved Senna. Um, it's called Fire in Babylon, uh, and it's about the West Indian cricket team. Um, they were basically complete underdogs in the world in 1960s. And there was a lot of racism uh, going on in world sport back then. They were essentially a second-class team uh, in world cricket. And then in the 70s and the 80s, they became the most fearsome, um, dominating team possibly that has ever existed in a team sport. You know, They were more dominant than Brazil were uh, in football or the All Blacks were in rugby union. They were the best of the best and they were frighteningly physical as well and when you think about the fact that they had to fight against poverty and racism and the documentary really does look at that especially on a number of their visits to England in the 1970s um, and some of the racism they encountered um, even from the opposing England captain at the time it's it's quite shocking um, it's a fantastic uh, documentary it's only about an hour and 20 minutes got brilliant soundtrack um and it features some of literally the coolest sportsmen who've ever lived including uh viv richards uh such a legend um and michael holding uh who was known as whispering death which is just the best sports nickname in my opinion really great it's on netflix us um and if you watch that it might give get you in the mood to watch the rest of the ashes series this summer okay uh jerry um, I'm going to go for one that I haven't seen. <laughs> Ooh, risky. <laughs> Sounds a bit dodge. But I did that last week and it worked. Uh, it's come to my attention that Steve Coogan's stand-up is now on Netflix UK. So I think the title is Steve Coogan as Alan Partridge and other less successful characters. I haven't seen it, but I fucking love Partridge and I generally like Steve Coogan. Have you seen not as good his as, first live one? Yeah, the was, man who thinks he is it. That is, That's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, the new one is that not as it's, good. It's not okay. Not as good as that. Live well, and new is pretty base, good as well. I was basing the new one on his old stuff that I've seen, so uh, maybe we'll sure track that. But it's, it's an hour and a half of time. It's got Partridge on, and the Alpha Papa trailer is on. Oh god, so excited for <laughs> Alpha Papa. Yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, Owen. Um, well, as I did the best film on TV uh, article this week, I thought I'd better pick something that's actually on the TV. Uh, so on Friday, uh, on film four at 5 to 11, is the James Gunn film Super. Um, oh, yeah. Which, if you've not seen it before, is pretty different to most regular superhero sort of films. It's more like Kick-Ass in that it's just about a guy who decides that he's going to dress as a, a vigilante and go around and fight crime. I think the tagline to the film is actually Shut Up Crime, which is just yeah. a brilliant tagline anyway. It's uh, Rain Wilson from The Office, isn't it? Yeah, right, that's it. Rain Wilson, yeah. Ellen Page is in it, Kevin Bacon. Yeah, as the um, villain again. Yeah, yeah um, it actually is a brilliant smarmy villain. I, I, re I really like this. It's not... I kind of went into it expecting an all-out comedy. And it's not. No, it's pretty dark. Not a, it, I wouldn't even consider it a comedy, to be honest. Slightly mental in places as well. It's like utterly bonkers in places. Yeah. But it, it's totally unique. And um, and it's really interesting that James Gunn has basically gone from that to being part of 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe and doing... I always get it wrong. Is it Guardians of the Galaxy? He's doing... James Gunn, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I got I got the right one this yeah. time. Okay, yeah. Well so he's doing Guardians of the Galaxy, so that'll be really interesting. But yeah, it's definitely worth a watch, but it's it's pretty fucked up. It is. Like I say, don't go into it expecting a comedy. At the most, no. it's sort of a tragic comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm doing something different this week um, with mine. Average. Basically, my internet is back working. I've got Netflix again. I've got uh, various torrent and streaming sites again. I've got Sky Player back. I've got iPlayer back. So, you listeners can recommend me something by tweeting the Failed Critics Twitter account, which is James. At Failed Critics. With the hashtag Steve Must Watch. Nice. There you go. <laughs> Bit of interactivity going on. Yeah. I like it. I'm just being really lazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and next week we have got uh, the review of uh, The World's End. Yes, that's right. The um, the new uh, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost uh, comedy. Um, kind of body snatchers style pop crawl thing going on. Looks good. Yes, um, so that will be next week. Thanks for everyone who contributed and who listened to this podcast. You can find us all at the usual places where we are every week. Uh, Thanks again for listening. The Fail Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond, hosted by Steve Norman with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com and you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.